Bible says the message of the cross is foolishness. 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 Foolishness to those that are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Guys, welcome back. This is Brian Sumner with the Foolishness Podcast. We are going to jump right in. I'm here with my good friend, Pastor Pete. If you are tuning in right now, make sure you hear the first episode. He just... The first episode. The first episode. There's Pete's tongues for you to understand. But he unpacked a lot of life, a lot that people keep in the closet and journeys through his family, his upbringing, and things that could have drove him crazy. I don't doubt that the enemy tried to, but as he testified before, we've been good friends for a while. His heart has been faithfully towards the Lord. Even when I'm sure he's straight at times, the Lord has been faithful with him. Absolutely. He's an open book. And so even just to jump back in, your friend had now gone to New York. You'd had this crazy experience with your dad. How do you get from this kid that's drinking to drugs to this nudist beast ex- experience. I, I said beast. It could even be nudist beast. Nudist beach experience. How does that become motorcycles? And we know you did some well, time. Okay, you so said, I'll, yeah. I'll, try to, I'll try to get us through this quickly. Yeah, yeah. What happened was my mom and my stepdad moved back to Laguna Beach, California from... Uh, from Puerto Vallarta, and uh, and Michelle had been, uh, you know, her father got a job in New York. She was ripped unceremoniously out of my life, mm. um, which only further escalated my sense of abandonment and my lack of trust for anything or anybody. You know, after what my father had done, uh, you know, when he found out about my molestation, his reaction that caused a huge shutdown there for me. Uh, just in case you didn't hear, um, you know, I was molested for an extended period of time as a child in Mexico. When my father found out about it, his reaction was to uh, spit in my face, beat me up, and call me a faggot. And um, uh, and that's a, a terrible term, and I don't use that term loosely. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't use that term. But that's yeah. what he said. And I've I'm never just, heard you use that term. I'm yeah. just quoting what he said. I in don't, your life. I don't subscribe to that kind of language. Um, and, um, and I would never say that to another living person. Amen. Um, but, uh, that's what he said. And, 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 you know, and immediately I, um, and that was common back then. That was the term everyone threw around. It was in a dire straits song. I mean, it was, yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, uh, and it broke me. It broke me, and and I, um, I like almost the next day. I, you know, I, I became a different person. Yeah. And, uh, so it wasn't long after that where Michelle's father uh, got a job in New York, and unceremoniously she was ripped out of my life, and um, I, I was adrift. You know, she was my, she was my true north. Yeah. She really was. You know, even at ten years old, and uh, you know, the love that we had was so powerful and so pure and so strong, and it was forged out of a mutual brokenness you know Mm -hmm. we did not fit Mm -hmm. and i think for people who have uh, wrestled with alcohol and substance abuse problems you know i I work with a lot of people in recovery and i I work at different treatment centers and one of the common uh um, themes is from very young ages most people who wrestle with alcoholism and drug addiction either have a lot of ptsd resulting from trauma of a sexual nature or an abuse nature or there's a sense of just never really fitting in. Yeah, your own skin is not comfortable, you mm. know. And 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 this was my story. I I, I felt outside the box. I felt um, like you know. And I, I remember uh, just feeling so separated. And when I met Michelle, it was like um, I found myself. Mm-hmm. You know. So there, she's gone. My dad has done this terrible thing to me. My mother and my father, my stepfather, moved back from from Mexico, and they settled back in Laguna, which was 
really my heart's home other than the North Shore Kauai Laguna Beach California is probably the where my heart is the most content mm-hmm. and um so I had always imagined that my mom called my dad and said yeah I want my son to come live with us and you know it, it dawned on me later that that's probably not how it really went it was probably like get this kid out of here I can't handle it anymore yeah, you know because yeah. I was a I was a handful yeah and uh um <laughs> So I went to live with my mom and my stepdad in Laguna Beach. And uh, so consequently, you know, I'm coming out of the singer-songwriter era in in Laurel Canyon. um, And now I'm diving into the Brotherhood of Eternal Love era in Laguna Canyon. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just took to it like a fish to the water. Um, You know, I I, I remember I met this kid named Stevie Yurka. And his uh, dad was a guy named Buddha Bobby who was one of the... um, big wheels in in the brotherhood out there and uh um and we and you mean the biking brotherhood yeah no no the, the brotherhood of eternal love which oh, was wow. uh, they were the epicenter of all the uh, hash smuggling and marijuana smuggling and manufacturing of orange sunshine lsd and uh, you know there's i guess there's a movie out called orange sunshine that you know but uh, the brotherhood was a, a, a very much timothy leary driven vibe kind of um you know um yeah. Look it up on Wikipedia, Brotherhood of Eternal Love. It's, it'll <laughs> tell you all about it. But um, so I, I was plunged into that and I became a little drug dealer and a little hustler. And uh, um, and I was mentored by, you should really pick up my book, Dead Man Waking and yeah. the sequel, Eddie. And it, it explains all of this. But I was immersed in that culture of uh, of, of, of drug dealing and, um, and the pursuit of psychedelia, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, Again, the use of drugs back in that time was more of a spiritual seeking kind of thing. And I remember, you know, when it changed, when um, people started using cocaine and methamphetamine. And and this is the thing with the devil. Yeah. He comes along with a solution. You know, for me, you know, the first time I drank that vodka when I was in the process of trying to hide from the molestation that I was faced with on a daily basis and and the vodka became a solution. Mm -hmm. You know, it it was a solution for me. It wasn't a problem. Um, When I finally got to where the first time I did heroin at 12 years old, um, uh, it was like stepping into the arms of God. It was a solution because I tell people and I believe this, that if I hadn't have found heroin, I would have killed myself. Mm -hmm because I was a tormented kid. Yeah. And um, I would have led to something darker or worse. I had seen too much and I was in too much pain. I mean, my, my life at, 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 from the time I was eight or nine years old, you know, was a festival of pain, mm-hmm. emotional pain, physical pain, um, uh, shame, guilt, you know, all of it. And, uh, and, and, and heroin became my solution and, mm. and it worked and it worked for a really long time. Yeah. It worked until the consequences began to outweigh the benefits. Yeah. And, uh, but that took a long time to manifest itself. It took years in and out of institutions. Um, but so there I was Laguna beach, California, uh, you know, um, 12 years old, I met a man named uh, Max Jeunesse and Max was the epitome of cool 1950 Chevy lowrider, black slammed, Black leather trench coat, murder one shades, crisp white towncraft t-shirt, um, <laughs> tattooed from his fingernails to his earlobes. And I'm like, I want to be just like him. And he was a heroin dealer and a heroin addict. And wow. um, I just attached myself to him, you know, and, um, uh, and I, I, you know, yeah. I, I got into that. And um, at 12, at 12, wow. I, you know, by the time I was 14, I was arrested for my first felony and, um, and I was addicted to heroin. Mm. Now, now, you know, I look at my 11-year-old daughter and I think to myself, 
how could that possibly be? Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't know if I just grew up Quick. like super yeah. young, but I had yeah. been, you know, I had part of it maybe the fact that I was a voracious reader, even from the time I was really little, and I'd already read a lot of adult books by the time I was mm. 10 or 11. I'd already read Hess and Kafka, and yeah, you know, I, I don't know, you know. But there was something, I mean, I, mean I, I was hitchhiking up and down the state of California at 14 years old with a dog, you know, I yeah. mean, um, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so I look at my 11 year old daughter and I think, how could I have possibly been that far out there mm-hmm. with nobody yeah, noticing? But I, I moved you know? here at 15 and you think about that, like I didn't, I mean, Dakota's 19, I'd be like, you're not moving to England, right. but I'd already traveled England for skating and and had a matured mind. I was already reading crazy books as well. Yeah. You know, all the uh, Behold the Pale Horse, the conspiracy stuff and all the yeah. rest. So maybe it is that, and maybe just as men, we just, they say men mature more, then they stop, then women catch up. Yeah, right. Then eventually men. And when then we still just remain boys, I guess. So I don't know. But man. so that's. I'm still very much a boy. Yeah. Well, that's. So this is going on like Laguna, beautiful place to live. I mean, one yeah, of the coolest so parts I, of America. I, you know, I, I fall into the heroin thing, and um, and next thing I know, I'm in in juvenile hall, and uh, but at the same time, like in and out of juvenile hall, and there was periods of time when I wasn't using heroin, and uh, and I I remember living in South Laguna with my mom and my stepdad and having a build, building a mini bike, mm-hmm. you know. You and it was unincorporated, bike, yeah. so there was no cops. It was only the county sheriff, and they went around that much. So there was a few of us. We just ripped around on everybody. So one day I'm at the, I don't know if you remember, Gulf Gasoline, the Gulf mm-hmm. gas station. It's like gasoline was 12. With the orange logo and the G. Yeah, and the, and the yeah. horseshoe thing. Yeah. And so gas was like 12 cents a gallon. And cigarettes were 25 cents a pack. And, uh, and I was deeply invested in both of those things. So, um, no. you know, uh, uh, you know, I was at the gas station putting gas in my mini bike, and all of a sudden this, about 30 of these bikers roll in there was a club called the devil's disciples hmm. and they were out here they moved out here from the midwest and they were super strong in the midwest and they kind of invaded southern california and um, they had a heyday for a little while and then finally their two top guys were assassinated and that kind of took them out of the but for a minute they were pretty wow. pretty strong players and uh uh and i remember seeing them and thinking oh Mm. Well, that was right about the time Easy Rider came out with Peter Fonda, and and, one, and my dad took me to see that movie. So I, that was it, man. I was like that. I, I just wanted to be that guy. So <laughs> I, it wasn't long after that I got a Honda 160 and a Scrambler, and I put Stingray handlebars on it, and and uh, that was it, man. You know, I was pursuing that lifestyle. By the time I was 14, I had a Triumph 650. Mm-hmm. 15, I had my first Harley, and I started going up into Costa Mesa and hanging out in the biker. That was a big kid, you yeah. Know? And uh, uh, but isn't that what happens? Isn't it? I know the times I've been to court and I've helped people out or been there or whatever, and I've seen bikers or biker friends. I know they go, "Look, man, a lot of you know, as a pastor, they're so open. A lot of what we experience as kids shook us so much that this biker culture became our family, Absolutely. and it was a way to to make sure Absolutely. nothing happened to us again, unless you know. So, so you see this family of bikers. Here's this crew like seeing a load of surfers, like seeing a load of skaters. It was a tribal a of, thing. It's a, a tribal, tribal thing, thing yeah. you know, and 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 really, it's the same thing with the body of Christ. It's a yeah. tribal thing, and we, that was my and point. We, yeah, and we crave that tribal that tribal thing. It's, um, 
you know, the word tribe, the 12 tribes yeah. of Israel, yeah. you know, it's like we're created to be a part of a family, uh, of a family mm-hmm. unit, of a, of, of a culture, yeah. to be contributing members of a culture. And um, unfortunately, uh, in the culture that we live in today, so many people are not contributing members of a culture, but they're yeah. uh, detractors of a culture yeah. and they're, and, and they're counterproductive to the culture or the tribe. Or well, they're tearing everyone but, down to get to the top themselves. Yeah. So they're destroying culture. So, you know, long story short, yeah. man, I was torn between surfing, uh, being an outlaw biker. I was a member of the Vagos Motorcycle Club for 20 something years, 23 years or whatever. And, uh, mm. you know, um, how does this but, now lead to, to well, Jesus so, so, actually so, getting so, so, hold? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm in, I'm in prison and, um, you know, I mentioned in the first, uh, go around here that, you know, I would see guys carrying Bibles around in prison <laughs> and I would think, well, that's weak. You know, you're <laughs> hiding from prison politics. I know you're going to leave that Bible on the cell floor when you leave. And, um, and it made me angry, you know yeah. what I mean? But I would sometimes get out of church and I would go to Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. There's a guy named Odin Fong who's yeah. a brotherhood guy. And now he's a big Calvary pastor has been for many, many, many years. And yeah. I knew he was there. And so I kind of went to investigate and I would hear Pastor Chuck speak or Greg Laurie or Mike McIntosh or any of yeah. the old school Calvary guys and I would hear the truth, man. Yeah. And the music, you know, there's a, a, a love song, a band man. called The Road Home and they did this rendition of Psalm 5 that would just, it would just dry, I would just weep and wow. they had Saturday night concerts and, <laughs> and uh, uh, you know. Um, wow. And I, 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 I wanted to be there mm-hmm. but I felt disqualified. Yeah. I felt like if they knew what I'd been through, if they knew who I was, they'd want me in a different zip code. None of these people, and and you know, and it was a lie, a lie from the pit of hell. It was yeah. the devil deceiving me, but I believed him, and um, so I, I just kept going back to the heroin and back to the prisons, and mm-hmm. and I was in a, a, a motel in Anaheim. Uh, you know, it's funny because it, you know, even when you're not in prison, you're still everybody knows where you are mm-hmm. because we go to the same motels. We hang out with the same dirty leg girls. We buy our drugs from the same people. Yeah. It's just the culture is, you know, you're locked up or, or you're not locked up. But you're still part of that tribe. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm in this motel in Anaheim and I, I've got a pistol and some heroin and some syringes and, all of a sudden, the doors and windows come crashing in, and it's the Anaheim Gang Task Force and the Special Services Unit for the California Department of Corrections Parole and my parole officer. And um, and my parole officer said something to me. Right then? Like, that yeah. he's there? Uh, it was a woman. Yeah. And she, I'd, she'd been my parole officer for a long, long time, and she said, you're going you're gonna to like this. She said, <laughs> she made everybody else leave the room, and it's just me and her, and I'm handcuffed up and ankle shackles on, and she says... Uh, there's something redeemable about you. Hmm. I'd heard that word come out of Pastor Chuck's mouth, <laughs> redeemed, you know. <laughs> and it connected, it clicked. And it clicked with what God had said to me all those years before when I was in the middle of that molestation thing. I love you and, and, mm-hmm. and I'll never leave you. And mm-hmm. it, I, it, I saw, suddenly had a picture, you know, a momentary flash of like hope. Mm-hmm. She said, there's something redeemable about you and I'm going to make you a deal. If you'll go to um, this Narcotics Anonymous meeting at 4 o'clock this afternoon in Costa Mesa, I'll take the pistol and the syringes and the drugs, and I'll put them in the safe in my office. Unheard of proposition, <laughs> right? And, and I, it blew my mind. And, of course, I accepted because I had a stolen Camaro parked right downstairs. Mm-hmm. And I was going to get in that Camaro and <laughs> roll until the next time they caught me. But that's not what happened. And I really can't. This is the beginning of But God. it spoke to you. God st- dealt with you when she said the word redeemable. It's, it was a, she, it was a God he moment. <laughs> he did. It was a God moment, but I still wasn't, I still wasn't about to succumb to, you know, um, mm-hmm. I wasn't about to bow down. I wasn't about to bend the knee. Um, 
and and um but i don't really know how i got to that mm-hmm. at quarter to four i'm driving by the very place I, i'd agreed to be at at four o'clock 20 uh, 20 40 placentia avenue costa mesa california interestingly two two blocks away from my church mm-hmm. and uh, uh and it was the costa mesa lawn. now i had never heard of the 12 steps I had never heard of AA. I'd never heard of NA. I'd never heard of any of it before. Mm-hmm. And it was like, a, 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 but I'd been to church and I knew that I wanted God because I, when I heard Pastor Chuck preach, I knew I was hearing the truth. Yeah. So I pull around the back uh, into the parking lot and I'm, I see myself. I see guys with tattoos. I see strippers. I see a couple of bikers. I see all these people that look like they were right out of my lifestyle mm-hmm. and they're all drinking coffee and smoking cigarettes and waiting for the meeting to start. And, um, I'm walking up and this man comes up to me and he stops me and he says, Whoa, 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 where are you going? And I'm like, I'm supposed to be at a meeting here at four o'clock. And he goes, what's your deal? And I, I just felt compelled to be honest with him. I told him, I said, I've been out of prison for a month. I'm strung out like a dog. I need help. I don't know what to do. I'm lost. <laughs> and he said, okay, well, my experience with you guys coming out of prison is that you grab some newcomer girl, you take her to a hotel, you go back to prison, you leave us with the wreckage of your passing. And I said, I'm going to try really hard not to do that, sir. And he goes, okay, you go into that meeting and you listen for the similarities and not the differences because you're dying. I didn't feel like I was dying. I was 275 pounds, looked like a Viking warrior. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, I was 30, 32 years old. I was in my prime, right? You yeah. Know? And I, I, I felt powerful and strong and like I, I was somebody because, you know, and, and that yeah. guy later became my sponsor and he used to say things to me like, yeah, proud of a prison history, huh? <laughs> you, you know how sick that is, right? <laughs> I mean, like, you can be proud if you got a degree in law or you can mm-hmm. be proud if you put yourself through med school, but you're proud because you went to prison and, mm. and, and the so state was, took care of you. You know, yeah. you're proud of that, are you? And so he really taught me a lot about humility. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, he told me, he goes, uh, uh, you know, go in there and listen for the similarities and not the differences. And I walked into that meeting and mm. there was a guy named Cecil Holland that I'd met in like juvenile hall. And we'd come up through the system together. Um, he was a well-known tattoo artist in prison and um, he had been gone for like four years mm. and everybody thought he was dead. Because like I explained earlier, you, you yeah. know, even if you're not in prison, everybody knows where you are. You're in the hotel talking yeah. about the guys in prison. Yeah. yeah. And so he was just gone and wow. there he was, he was leading this meeting and he was, muscular and a brand new t-shirt and looked good. And I'm like, what the heck? And I have to be honest, my first thought was he found some kind of hustle, you know, it never, it never would have dawned on me that anybody could actually get off of drugs. Yeah. Yeah. My idea of being clean was just smoking weed and drinking, you know, just sustaining. If you're not shooting heroin, you're clean, you know? And, um, I've learned that that's not true. Um, but, uh, (laughs) I, I fell in love that day. Hmm. You know, I fell in love that day. I fell in love with everything about that, and I couldn't get clean. I, I, I went to that meeting every day for thirty days, and I could not stop. I needed to be stopped. And my parole officer sent me back to prison hmm. with an ex con with a gun charge, which at that time carried eighteen months. So I did two years. Yeah, that guy that had stopped me in the parking lot found out who I was, wrote me a letter, sent me an AA big book and a Narcotics Anonymous basic text, and asked if he could be my sponsor. And I'm like, who does that? Yeah. Who is takes the time for another person? Yeah, what's that, his hustle? What's he getting what, out of yeah, it? Yeah, what and and so parole day came and um I got in a bus um at eight o'clock in the morning um from Corcoran. Yeah. Uh <laughs> and I had to make a decision because when you get out of prison you can pick up a two hundred dollar check at the parole office. Mm-hmm. And I had to make a decision. Am I gonna go pick up that check or am I gonna go to that meeting? 
And I thank God that he directed me to go to that meeting. Because had I gone to the parole office, I would be dead today. Yeah, you'd have gone and bought a bunch of... I'd have, I'd have, I'd have gone right back on that road. I would have ran into somebody there. Mm. And the next day I took Cecil with me. And I did run into a couple of people there. And if I hadn't had Cecil with me, I probably would have succumbed to that. Because I'm still so weak. Yeah, you know? yeah. Still so unsure. Um, <laughs> but I had found something. Something that meant something to me. Had you read the Bible yet? No. So you're hearing I, Pastor I, I, Chuck. I've, I've heard Pastor Chuck, and um, and I'd read, you know, but I had not yet. See, I felt disqualified from grace because I had not yet heard of Saul of Tarsus. I had not yet heard mm-hmm. of David, Bathsheba, David and Bathsheba and Uriah mm-hmm. the Hittite. I hadn't seen the sin of godly men and the, mm-hmm. and the forgiveness and the power of God's grace to restore and 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 and, re, and, and, and repair. I didn't know, yeah. you know, that I thought that I was such a sinner. You know, Paul says uh, <laughs> he's the chief of sinners. I'm like. <laughs> When I read that the first time, I was like, but no, I was the chief. Yeah. You know? He's just on a moped. I'm yeah. on the Harley. Yeah. <laughs> so so um, I, I, I was in, I, 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 you know, I got out that, that second time and I went back to that program and I poured my whole life into Narcotics Anonymous. Mm-hmm. And I got a job and I got a good job and I, you know, I was a bulldozer operator and I, I was faithful and I was the first one to work every day and the last one to leave and I was in a meeting every day and I was in the gym every day and mm-hmm. I was, you know, I was, I was beginning to feel like a human being, yeah. you know? Yeah. And it's funny because I got sober and clean in the same neighborhood where I'd committed all my crimes pretty much, mm. you know, I'm a Costa Mesa boy. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, oh, I can't get clean where I, you know, where, no, that's not true. We can get clean anywhere we are if we're willing to do what it requires to make that happen. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, in the, in, in chapter five, in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, it says, rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. Mm. And I found that to be absolutely 100% true. In fact, I would say that I've never seen anyone fail who has thoroughly followed that path. It works 100% of the time for 100% of the people who are willing Mm -hmm. to do 100% of the work. But the thing about Alcoholics Anonymous is, and Narcotics Anonymous is they're unparalleled in dealing with the ramifications of addiction. There's nothing nothing better. But they do nothing for your eternal situation. Yeah, they give you the higher power. But in saying that, we could be counseling a couple right now and go, look... Hey, pastor, I'm going through this, this, this. My wife's doing this. I'm almost doing that. I'm back on drugs. Okay. Are you reading the word? Yes. But are you trusting the word? Yeah. Are you, I mean, throughout my phone is a bunch of people going through hard things. And I go, look, if you're not in fellowship, if you're not doing the things, Alcoholics Anonymous is a great place to get you to the soberness and the rest, but it's not focused eternally. No, it's focused it's on not, the now, but it's mean we should use it's one day at a time, uh, just for today kind of situation. And, but it's invaluable. And, and the thing is, people, why have you stayed in Alcoholics Anonymous for this 30 something years? Mm-hmm. And I'm well, because God told me to stay. Yeah. You know? And how many people are you going to experience that they only make it there and maybe they even get clean, but they don't get to go to the next stage, which is where they meet Pastor Pete or whoever. Yeah. Who, that, well, that, you know, your... this first love church, this, this vessel that God has given me to, to captain, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's 90% people from the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. So, you know, I feel like my mission is to take the gospel to AA and NA. Mm-hmm. And God has taught me how to be very delicate. God has taught me how to be an example mm-hmm. in word, indeed, more than in word, you know. Yeah. And, um, you know, like I, when I quote the Bible in an AA meeting, I don't say, and this is from the Holy Bible, from the Holy. I'll say, yeah, I, I, I read in this book, and here's a story that this man told in this book, and, and I'll give something. And then somebody will ask me later, where'd that come from? And I go, dude, that's the Bible, man. They're like, no way. <laughs> you know? And so, you know, God has taught me to be very stealthy. But mm-hmm. at the same time, you know, I, I'm, I have tenure because I've been in Alcoholics Anonymous in, in the Owens County area for over 30 years, and mm-hmm. I don't have 30 years sober. Yeah. 
but I have 27 out of the last 33 years sober, mm-hmm. which for an addict like me is pretty darn good. Yeah. Anyway, so, um, you know, I, I and they I, do I, know you're a pastor and they do know oh, yeah, what yeah. you're about. Oh, so obviously totally. they know this guy's they coming in the me, name of Jesus. They knew me when yeah. I walked into Narcotics Anonymous as a, as a outlaw biker and an addict and they knew me when, you know, they've known me. They've known every face that I've ever worn. Just so people don't think you're like, hey, I just kind of say things about God. No, that's not what Pastor Pete's saying. He's very intentional about who he is, what he's doing, but he's giving it to them to say, hey, this is the truth of the... So, you know, I I put together a couple years sober, and um, I was asked to speak at um, a Narcotics Narcotics Anonymous convention in Long Beach. Mm -hmm. And so I go to speak, and there's a couple hundred people at this meeting, and um, I'm a Vago. I'm flying my colors. Yeah. I'm big. You know, I'm in the gym every day. I'm like all, you know, prideful, sober and seeking a spiritual way of life. Still very prideful. Yeah. Still very about the bike and being about, on the about, road about and the all, name and prideful about being clean and sober. Yeah, you know? that's a good point. Yeah, prideful about prideful being clean about and sober our own righteousness. I, I was such a loser, and now I'm a, I'm at the peak of my game. Right, you know, chicks dig me. Yeah, you know, all of it, and 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 I'm, I'm up there and I'm sharing, and uh, and God's like, mm, drop the act. Yeah, <laughs> tell the truth. Yeah. Tell them about Chewy. Yo, wow. And I, it wasn't in my first four step, which is an inventory that we take in the program um, mm. where we reveal all our deepest, darkest secrets and share them with another person and with God and, and, and begin the cleansing process, the restoration process. And I hadn't included it in there. In fact, the last person I told was my dad. And you know, you know how that turned out. Michelle yeah. and my dad were the only two people I'd ever told. Wow. And so I'm talking to 200 people and it comes out. And I told the story. And within 30 seconds of launching the story, I'm weeping. And mm. snot's running down my face. And I went from being this 275-pound Viking warrior to yeah, being this, tank little, to like... to this little baby perched on the front of this podium in a diaper. You know, is what I felt like. And you and told him this is the first time I've shared this. It's the first know I was time I've ever this. shared this. And, um, and I, it just wrung me out. But I got healed. <laughs> and 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 what happened was that after the meeting like 40 people stayed behind so uh, there's a part in the book in, in a big book and it starts on page 83 and it's called the the nine step promises and about a quarter of the way through the promises it says no matter how far down the scale we have gone we'll realize how our experience can benefit others mm-hmm. the nine step promises are, are some of the most beautiful um you know, when I, I look at the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I have to say, man, it's, it's, there has to have been some inspiration. I was going to say then, who even wrote it? Uh, Bill who, Wilson wrote it with yeah. less than three years sober. And it's, you know, for the alcoholic, it, it, it's, it has the, it, it's a book written about me. Was he a believer or no? Or? Well, that's the thing that people, a lot of people don't realize is that um, Alcoholics Anonymous came out of something called the Oxford Group. Mm-hmm. The Oxford Group was a, a evangelical Christian group. Um, that believed in a set of eight principles um, that they practice in order to reach, achieve a, a, a level of um, a deep relationship with God. Mm-hmm. They had these eight things that yeah. they did. And that's where our 12 steps came out of. So Dr. Bob and Bill W., the two founders of Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, went through the Oxford program. They were members of the Oxford program, the Oxford group. Both of them had a altar call experience mm-hmm. where they went forward at a camp meeting, received the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, and then went back to the community, back to the Oxford group, and, and, and then founded Alcoholics Anonymous. Hmm. So you notice, you know, when you read the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, uh, 
there's a really well-known Calvary pastor, and uh, he will remain nameless, <laughs> but um, an amazing man, and mm-hmm. um, David Rosales. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I didn't last I was, long. In, I was in Bible college. I was in Bible college, and we went out to visit his church. I was at School of Ministry in Costa Mesa under Carl Wester. We went out to visit his church, and he may not even remember this story, but... Um, yeah. Uh, he started talking about how we didn't need Alcoholics Anonymous, we just needed Jesus. And I'm like, I hesitantly put my hand up and I told him, I said, that's not my story. You know, I was at Calvary when you were relatively young in the faith yeah. and, and I couldn't get it. I, I wanted what you had so badly, mm-hmm. but I couldn't get it. And it took Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous to get me to a place where I could mm-hmm. receive Christ. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I asked him, I said, have you ever been to an AA meeting? And he said, no. Mm-hmm. And I said, have you ever read the AA big book? He's like, no. Yeah. And I'm like, well... And what he's saying is too in the principle, it's only the gospel, but God uses right. everything so I, I asked redeemable. Him, I said, Could so. you possibly be suffering from contempt prior to investigation? <laughs> and he looked at me, and there's 70 people in this room. Yeah. And he could have shut me down. Yeah. And he said, It could be. <laughs> he said, I will never say another th- negative thing about AA until I've read the book. Or, or and you weren't saying it to be rude. You were just no, like, No, I just was, I, it was That's my, my truth. Story. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. But he received that in such a beautiful way. Hmm. And he was so humble in his response. That it was nurturing to you as well. But my level of respect for him went through the roof. Yeah. You know, and even today when I hear him on the radio, I'm kind of getting kind of chills right now just thinking about his response and how loving it was well we'll get him yeah. on the next episode <laughs> say, How are you? he and, probably yeah, doesn't yeah. even remember it was a 30 second event you know <laughs> yeah but that but, but that is your st- so so i mean god does redeem all things you know what i mean what the enemy's using because when we had chris jones on i mean like he said hey a is a great fishing hole you get to is. go in there bomb with people it's we joke we talk about jujitsu i know you've rolled and muay thai and all the rest but when you're this close to someone it's tribal and they're just more open with you. So I don't know that realm other than all my friends like yourself. It's close. It can be intense, but you're opening up all your demons, all your junk. And the only thing that really is going to satisfy is the word of God, is the Holy Spirit ultimately, filling that void. Ultimately, it all leads to the word of God. And mm-hmm. when I, you know, when I say, you know, that I, I, I just can't help but believe that they, a big book is inspired. So here's the thing, you know, so I know that Bill W. and Bob, uh, Dr. Bob both came out of a very Christian experience and mm-hmm. they both had given their lives to Christ in an altar call, in an evangelical situation. You mean uh, that God led meeting. them to write it, but like, it's not God's word, obviously, no. but it led them to, to Because here's the that. thing, um, nobody's coming to Christ if they're dead. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. What about all these people who are um, have, have had like, uh, for example, I, I've got two clients at a treatment center that I'm working with right now that both came out of cults. Yeah, they were raised in cults, extremely legalistic, um, very uh, just bad, bad, yeah. bad spiritual environment. Like Christian Science, Jehovah Witness, Mormon, no, even or just well, even just, beyond that, uh, just very strict disciplinarian yeah. Christian. You know, like yeah, no yeah. dancing, no jewelry, no, and and, and you know, and this is. But but that wasn't the way it was at home, you know. There was there was hypocrisy going on, yeah. and 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 one of these young men is gay, and yeah. he grew up under that, you know, that pressure that you know, and so when that they, they electrify body parts, if right? Yes. Yeah, so or send so you when, 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 when 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 Pastor Pete walks in and they, they, it's announced they're going to have a a group with Pastor Pete, um, these people are like, oh no, I'm not. See, because that's well, where the defense is already up. Yeah, you know, God can use it. They're not even going to go in the door. And, and you know what's so funny is that I, I, I'm like, can I just have five minutes to talk to you? 
and I share my heart with them and I share my compassion with them and then they're open and then they're willing to come to church on Sunday mm-hmm. and then they're willing to, uh, you know, open themselves up to allowing the hurt and the pain that religion has put on them. Yeah. They're open to healing. Because then they can hear God's word, feel God's love through people, and that unpacks. Like Jesus yeah. is not happy with religion. Yeah, yeah. Jesus is happy with relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and when you look at so you know, there's Paul talks about the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. Mm-hmm. You know, you can use the word of God to beat people to death, mm-hmm. or you can use the Set word of God to, to impart yeah. life. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so this has all been. I mean, this is going on. So how do you get from here you are, you know, the, uh, the, the, the biker culture, um, now you're hearing this truth, you're going through the AA, you're speaking. How does it become full on, okay, how do you go from this guy? And, and you mentioned, you know, part of the Vargos and the rest, obviously you're, um, you're always in a sense a member, but then you're pastor. How do you go from all this to meeting Dawn to... Um, planning a church and then what is even the, the philosophy focus for the church how do you even present it because uh-huh. i know when we hang out we're always just talking about family life culture everyone we know but it's the theme is jesus so how do you go from this crazy awesome beautiful story i mean it is crazy that you're 64 live through this life crazy things have happened to you that if i wasn't a believer i'd be fine driving into mexico with you to take some revenge on people that have done, you know what I mean? But but the law was obviously at work in your heart. How does this then all unpack to, I remember you saying, Brian, you know, I felt like the law was dealing with me even about my bike. Like my bike became my identity. Like oh, you yeah. just said, my working yeah, out was sure. my identity. It was the things of the flesh. How does God navigate this guy who feels unworthy to have a thriving church? I mean, your oh, wife, your man. kids. So, so Dawn, yeah. um, my queen, uh, <laughs> my boss. <laughs> um, so I, I, I'd gotten out of prison and, um, I had found, uh, the program and, um, and I was looking around and I found this biker church, um, up in Anaheim yeah. and, uh, and I showed up there. Um, and, um, Dawn was there. She was 19. Yeah. I, I, she was 19 or 20. I was 34, 35. Yeah. And, uh, um, I saw her and I was like, she was teaching hip hop dancing to all these young girls. She had a ministry there. And what the ministry was about was, um, they had a band that would take all the hip hop songs and change the words over to Christian lyrics. And, and they would, you know, all load up in a bus and they would go to these neighborhoods and Don taught all these young girls to do hip hop dancing. They would put on shows and then they'd give because them all Because you like hip hop? Yeah. <laughs> I grew up on the outlaws and Marsha Tucker. Know. And, you know, so, know. so, 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 but I'm in now. Um, and, and I would always, po- you know, so naturally I w- I was working security. Right. Yeah. You know? And, um, and, and so I would always post up where I could watch her and, uh, and I, I was, I, I, I loved her madly. Mm. And, um, but you know, she would look at me and I had a, two teeth missing in the front and I had a big skull tattooed on my forehead and you know and she was this little punk rock girl and I think I scared her frankly yeah. you know what I mean yeah but you know they they, they ended up going like to places like Hawaii and it was all over the world to uh to do this hip hop thing with the, you know with the Christian lyrics and all that and you know so they needed sponsors and I was making good money running heavy equipment and so I would always sponsor Dawn you mm-hmm. know for her plane fare and her you yeah, know send her on some and, missions uh, right and um and so you know th- that kind of warmed her up a little bit but um we would see each other I, we both left that church and um uh, I ended up at Calvary Laguna under Joe Sabolic and uh, 
and that's a that's a funny story because yeah. I um you know I had gone away from the Lord for a minute. I'd gone up to Colorado and I was cowboying up there and uh, building bridges between my club and some other outlaw clubs that were up in that area. And um uh, and I came back and I ran into this guy that I had led to the Lord years before, Frank Begg, dear friend of mine, sober guy, um, mm-hmm. on fire for God. And he said to me, he goes, so what are you doing with Jesus? And I'm like, nothing. And he goes, well, you got to fix that, man. Where are you living? I'm like, I'm back down in Laguna. He goes, we need to go see Calvary Chapel, Laguna, Pastor Joseph Bollock. He, he slings the gospel, man. And mm-hmm. and I went, you know, and, um, and God was like, uh, I just wept through the entire church. It was like, I felt so good to be home. And I, he gave the altar call and I blasted forward, you know, and, um, uh, and that was the beginning of my call to ministry really, because I, I was there for a long time and, um, uh, I became a deacon and I started teaching Bible studies and I became the men's worship leader. And, mm-hmm. um, then I got fired from being the men's worship leader cause I basically sucked. Yeah. Um, and this guy came along. I didn't was, even know you, I know you said it in the front. I'm like, I didn't know you sang though. So well, I don't, <laughs> I, 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 if you want to call it singing, I, you know, but I, I you know, I, I was there, you know, it's kind of like, like you if, humble. it's kind of yeah. like if you're having a barbecue and somebody says, I'll barbecue the meat, even yeah. if they're burning the meat, at least it's getting done. It's getting you know what done. I mean? But then here comes this, this guy out of the fog and he's got a, he's got a, 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 a holster with barbecue sauce and he's got, you know, this, all this, you know, this belt with all these barbecue utensils and like, and he comes along and he's like, I'm the barbecue master. Do you keep the guy on that's burning the meat or do you put the barbecue master in place? So this guy named Tony Saiva, who's just a, brilliantly talented um, worship leader showed up and took my job. I think you're going to say George Foreman showed up and no. took your job with the girl. <laughs> no, but, no, but no. So, so it's so funny because Joe calls me, Joe's not a people person. He's yeah. like very cut and dry, you know, yeah. let's get to the cliff notes. And he calls me in his office and he's an amazing musician in his own right. And these guitars all over the walls in his office. And uh, he calls me and he goes, yeah, I got to let you go from being the men's worship. I had made, I had put together a band and, you know, and and, uh, and I'm like, well, what? And he goes, this guy's going to be the men's worship leader now. And I'm like, well, can I at least hear him? And he grabbed a guitar off the wall and he started playing, and it was incredible. I was like, oh, okay, I get it. But I was hurt. You know what I mean? Because I had yeah, put, I'm having those feelings like from when you were I put a, kid, a, I put more... a year into into building this band and and tr- trying to learn to sing. And I've always played guitar, but I'm not great. You know, yeah. I mean, I can throw down some lead licks and make it sound like I know what I'm doing. <laughs> but um, and every once in a while, I'll get up and jump in the band at church not so much anymore yeah. but uh um you know so so this guy you know he uh so does he lead you then does he push you towards ministry or how does god no what god tells me is he goes like this is a test you're either going to get behind this new guy mm-hmm. and uh and and support him and give him your band and be front and center every two, tuesday yeah, night yeah, for yeah. the men's group either you're in or you're not really yeah, yeah. and so i did and i promoted the guy mm-hmm. well Three months go by, and I get called back to the pastor's office again, and um, and uh, he's like, "I heard you've been teaching a Bible study at your brother's house." I'm like, "Yeah." He goes, "I heard it's pretty good." I'm like, "I don't know about that. You have to come see." <laughs> and uh, he goes, "Well, um, I'm appointing you to be the pastor of the men's group." So I got fired from being the worship leader, but what happened was during that time mm-hmm. it grew like 45 percent. Now there's like 80, 90 guys. Yeah, and so. A couple of months go by, and I now I'm after being fired from being the men's worship leader. Now I'm appointed as the men's pastor, and I learned something super important. Mm-hmm. You know, I learned because I, when I went when I went into that church, I went in with the attitude like, "Where's the where's the toilet brush? Yeah, you know, where's the tape duplicating machine? Mm-hmm. Where's the broom? You know, where's the cleaning supplies? Yeah, 
I just wanted to serve the Lord, man. I yeah. didn't have any 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 designs on teaching, but that's what began my pulpit ministry. And um, so in the meanwhile, with back to Don, yeah. um, now I'm at Calvary Laguna, and uh, now I'm wearing Dockers <laughs> and uh, uh, um, penny loafers and Hawaiian shirts. So you've pretty much lived through everything, right? So so I so Don shows up at, at Calvary Laguna one day, and I'm like, oh, there's that girl, yeah. And, uh, and she looks at me, and I'm wearing a Hawaiian shirt and dockers and penny lovers, and she's like, what have they done to you? Because <laughs> you look like a Calvary guy back then. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, like from outlaw biker looking guy to like Calvary guy, right? And, <laughs> and she's like, what have they done to you? And, um, and so we, we laughed, but, you know, we'd see each other. And, and God then, is just humbling you everywhere. Oh, yeah. my gosh, man. Oh, my gosh. Even she's, when you're doing it right. And, and she's so beautiful and so stinking smart. And, uh, and so um, it took another four years, but finally um, mm. I had been in a failed marriage, and I had planted a church called Calvary Chapel. North Shore on Kauai, and uh, yeah, and that uh, the church um, I left it in the hands of Steve Rex, who's the senior pastor there now and has been since 2004, mm. and he's an amazing man of God, and the church has flourished. And yeah, I came back here and on the heels of divorce, and um, and uh, and found Don. Yeah, you know, and, yeah, and we got married in 2005, and uh, because you have three children, we have two. We have two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, uh, Paige, who's now out of the house and going to Orange Coast College and working at Starbucks, wow. and then Harlow, who's who's you know eleven. Yeah. And at Calvary Chapel School. Um, yeah. So. So that led to Matt. You've been what seven? Seventeen years. That's right. Because we hit twenty. We talked about this seventeen, and so twelve years with First Love. Yeah. And then I remember because that's when we started our first episode. You right. came back. You said, "I just want to sit and navigate." And I know when I transitioned out of church. I want to just sit, let any residue get off me and go, Lord, what's next for me? And then you pretty much felt called, hey, it's time for me. Because I've heard you preach, and you preach the Bible. I know we're talking about a lot of stuff here, and even when you're saying, you know, inspired, talking about AA, you know, you're, you're, you mean that those men were inspired by God to write this. You're yeah. not saying it's the way to no, God. No, I'm not saying that. Not when you get in a pulpit... It's theology, it's people, it's very direct, it's a lot of thought, a lot of prep, and it's... I got trained by the best. Yeah, yeah. You know? I mean, you went through Bible college I and all the rest. I went through Calvary yeah. Chapel School of Ministry, Pastor Carl Westman, Pastor Roger Wing, Pastor yeah. Chuck Smith. These are the yeah. guys These are the guys that trained me yeah. to preach, and I, yeah. I, I hold to Calvary distinctives in everything I do. Hmm. You know, I believe that the Calvary Chapel movement is as solid as it gets, you know, hmm. and with all the division everything that's going on right now with the Global Calvary Network and Brian, and yeah. I still, um, that's still my mothership, hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And and you know um, and it always will be. Yeah, we just had Sarah Yardley. I think it was our last episode. Then Pastor Brian a while ago, and then we're going to have Joshua Cisco. Isn't he tied into Laguna Church somehow? Well, yeah, his his dad Jim Cisco was a, was at Calvary with That's us. That's what I yeah. thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then this is birth twelve years ago, and I know I've been over there a couple of times. So the heart then. Do you choose to go more through books? Do you go topical sometimes? What are you right now? Right now on Sundays we're just starting chapter three in Daniel on yeah. Sunday, okay. and, uh, and, and we're probably going to springboard <laughs> into the Book of Revelation after that. And I'll, I'll go through a book for a period or a season, and then the Lord will um, say, uh, you know, I want you to go yeah. topical for a while. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. depending on it depends on the atmosphere. Yeah, which there's no um, right way. I, I don't. I don't. I'm not locked into. You know, it's one of the th- areas where maybe I'm a little different than what the traditional Calvary thing has been. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, I, I do love the line by line, verse by verse expository yeah. preaching model. Yeah. But we'll say you're going to talk about the Holy a, Spirit for unique, three weeks. I got, yeah, I got yeah. a unique congregation, and and mm-hmm. and their their needs are unique, and 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 you know because the church is not that big. Maybe on a Sunday, two hundred people. Um, yeah. I'm able to feel. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm able to feel, and, and you know, it's funny because uh, we have a lot of people from treatment centers coming to the church. Yeah. And, um, and I work with them during the week. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know, I feel like I'm in such a richly blessed position mm-hmm. as a pastor to be able to have my finger on the pulse of yeah. the sheep, you know. And, and um, well, I I thought about you know even one of my good friends is, is a pastor at probably one of the biggest global movements you know and he just said man one of the things that's hard for me is that I don't really have a feel in the sheep because so many people come through our doors because of simply the music that it is yeah. a different thing you're not preaching to people's needs as far as where do they want me to go but I wanted to even say all this because people might say well here's this biker here's this guy. Brian and Pete have these emotional stories. We all do. We're all lost, you know, sin is saved by grace. But so, no, you're a Bible teacher. I mean, people go there. I could walk right in, and I'm going to hear, I'm going to know what Daniel's saying by the time you're done with your seven weeks or so. Oh, yeah. You're not just like, here's a thought, here's some motivation, here's whatever. I mean, it's Bible. I've sat and heard. Well, you and I both know because of the relationship that we've had, and, you know, like you mentioned in the first segment that you still have that book that I gave you, Foundations of the Christian Faith by James Montgomery Boyce. Man, I study. Yeah. No, I know. Yeah. And you study. 12, 20 hours to prep a message. Yeah. And and, and that's, you know... and that's a beautiful, beautiful gift to have that hunger for being able to portray God's spirit through the exhortation that comes from his word mm-hmm. and be able to give that to people and then see people come alive. You know, and it's so funny because uh, I'll be teaching uh, on uh, whatever it may be. Yeah. And somebody will come up to me and say, wow, I really got something out of that. And I'll, well, what was that? And they'll yeah. tell me. And then somebody else will come up and say about yeah. the same thing, they, but they get something completely yeah. different. So yeah. I watch the spirit <laughs> speak to people in different ways through the same verbiage. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and um, and what an exciting thing to be able to. Uh, what a, well, as, as long as and I tell people like young people say, well, you know, how do you prep? I go, we've got to exegete what's there. Who, who is Paul writing to? What was happening here in the Old Testament? Observation, interpretation, application. Observation, Pull it interpretation, all out, application. And then, yeah. and then how did it apply to your life? Not because you're ancient Israel, but because those verses in your life when you lived it that day, how did what God spoke to them allow you to understand in yourself? Hey. I might be feeling like Job right now. I might uh, be feeling like Daniel right now. There is a practical application. Well, when but- Nebuchadnezzar's getting the dream interpreted in <laughs> chapter 2, uh, um, he's not thinking that this is going to be a message about world history that will mm-hmm. extend to the very end times. He's yeah. hearing it for himself. Yeah, yeah. But yet it is a message. It's a foreshadow I, you know, of... Like Ch- Chuck Mistler used to say, it's... Uh, uh, what did he say? He said, um, it's an integrated message system from outside time and space. Mm-hmm. 66 books written by 40 authors over a 1,500-year period in three different languages, Hebrew, mm-hmm. Greek, and Aramaic, and yet seamless in every way. <laughs> and um, you know, and that's it, man. And, and, and it speaks to every age. Yeah. Especially because Daniel switches languages as well, and yeah. it comes from different perspectives. And, yeah. and some say then, some say 70 AD, you got partial fulfillment, and then some say future, which of course we know there's going to be a day when we see it unfold. So, right. so that's, and even in all of this, I know you've given us so much of your time. So imagine who's listening. Is it a biker guy? Is it someone that might have had the same experiences or even been going through them? I mean, what do we tell anyone listening? I mean, it's not about just getting set free from addiction or about going down to Mexico and making sure this doesn't happen again. It's about a relationship with Jesus. I mean, that's all of it. That's what people need to hear. What would you say to 15-year-old Pete right now or to 25-year-old Pete or to Pete that's in prison looking at the guy with the Bible going, you know what, that's not for me and just whatever. I mean, what would you... You know, I, 
God's had me in... And, you know, we all, everybody knows Jeremiah 29, 11, mm-hmm. you know, everybody knows it. And, um, and God's had me really focusing on, on that for quite some time now. And, uh, I'm just going to go there real quick. Amen. I mean, I, I have it memorized, but I, I want to read it. Um, <laughs> it's so beautiful. And this has been a, a quiet session. Normally the dogs are running around here and the cats and, the kids are coming home, but yeah, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, um, and and we all know Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, but then you get into verses twelve through fourteen, and it, and it changes its flavor a little bit, um, and it gets deeper, and, and and so he says, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. That's God's intention towards us, mm-hmm. no matter what our intent. We I, and I tell my people, I you know, and the clients that I have in these treatments, and I say, you might not even believe in God. Mm-hmm. But he believes in you, because mm-hmm. in Genesis one twenty six he says, "Let us go down and make create man in our own image." Mm-hmm. So he's we are created by him to bring glory to him, but ultimately it's a conviction of love on his part towards us, mm-hmm. irrespective of how we feel about him. Mm-hmm. He loves us so much so that uh, he recognized that the only way to bridge the gap between a sinful man and a holy God was a sacrifice that was worthy, mm-hmm. big enough. Yeah, dramatic enough, painful enough, <laughs> and he allowed his son Jesus Christ to come and fulfill that need. Mm-hmm. So when it says here, um, "For I know the thoughts that I think toward you," says the Lord, "thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope." That precedes any involvement in our part whatsoever. Mm-hmm. That's he's just, already determined. That's already God's determination how He feels about us. And then it says, "Then you will call upon me." Mm-hmm. And I think that's a, 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 a distinction that has to be made. You could read just right through that and not, yeah. and not make that pause right there. Yeah. But he says, and then you will call up to me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. Mm-hmm. So he's already got this predisposition towards us because he mm-hmm. created us for love and for glory and for a relationship. On redemption, like you said. However we feel or don't feel about him, this mm-hmm. is his preexistent condition towards us. Yeah. And then he says, and then... And then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. In other words, he says, you know, we'll get the, we'll get the sense that he's listening to us as we pray and it will cause us to want to go deeper. Mm-hmm. It will cause us to want to go deeper. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. Mm-hmm. And that's what it's all about. That's the entire gospel message is us mm-hmm. being set free from our captivity. Mm-hmm. We're held in bondage by the world and the things of the world mm-hmm. and by, 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 by a Satan who wants to seek, kill, and destroy. And, and the only way that we can get out from under that yoke of bondage, and, and in Colossians 1.13, it, it tells us, he says, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the whole thing. That's what you would have, you'd have needed to hear. God's going to lead and direct your life. And even though he's speaking to Jeremiah about things of that day, that's the promise of God because Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. So as people are hearing this and they say, I'm that kid that that happened to, I'm that guy in a prison cell, whether it's concrete or it's just life. I'm that bitter wife. I'm that frustrated girl that maybe he's out dancing, doing, you know, whatever it may be. God's plan is the cross and he sent his son to live, die, resurrect on it. And some of you are going to hear this and say, man, I relate. 
and I never got to tell anyone. There's pain and hurt I don't want to share with anyone. Well, God already knows, and maybe you're hearing his voice for the first time through a podcast. That's God's love. You know, when when, when Paul says that we should uh, redeem the past for the days are evil, mm-hmm. that whole redemption process, it, it applies to us individually in, in an eternal sense with our salvation but it also applies, like I said, in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, when it says uh, in the promises, no matter how far down the scale you, you have gone, you will suddenly realize how your experience can benefit others. Mm-hmm. It's the redemption of our past mm-hmm. to be able to, for me to be able to interpret those events that took place in my life that were so painful and so secretive and so yeah. um, disturbing and, and scarring and the PTSD, you know, mm-hmm. uh, all of that. Um, for God to be able to take all that and bring it into the light and make it into a gift. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because everywhere I go, I share that story of my molestation. I share that story of, about about God's grace and about how He's never abandoned me. He's always had me, even though I was uh, a rope in the tug of war between God and the devil. And sometimes I pulled for the wrong side. And mm-hmm. God's intention towards me was always, you know, redeem the time for the days are evil. Mm-hmm. When Paul mm-hmm. says redeem the time for the days are evil, redemption isn't just about our personal redemption. It's about the redemption of every experience we've ever had in our lives. Mm-hmm. I yeah. think yeah, he owns yeah. it all. It's covered in the blood. He owns and now it all. So when we make a decision to serve him, every single experience we've ever had, no matter, I mean, you think of, you know, <laughs> these, these people that you, there's so many stories yep. of people who have been so deeply wounded, of people who have been so badly broken mm. and they've stepped into the grace of God and they've stepped into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And now all of those things, the, the, the deep wickedness that they've experienced at the hands of mm-hmm. others and sometimes even at the hand of themselves. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and that has been taken to a place of redemption to where, yeah. man, now I can celebrate the fact that Chewie molested me, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. which sounds uh, crazy. I, I, had a, I had a client, I have a client and, uh, I, I met with her this morning and, um, you know, she's 18 years old and she's was forced into prostitution at 13 hmm. and I got to share with her today, <laughs> um, wow. how, she is at one point in time, if she continues down the road that we embarked on together this morning, mm-hmm. she will look at those experiences and say, thank you. Mm-hmm. I'm redeeming this. I'm using this for your glory. It wasn't right. It wasn't okay. Forgive. And it's hard to forget. But you know what, Lord? You're good. You're with me. Yeah. Wow. And you know what she said to me? She said, I've heard your story and I believe you. <laughs> so... <laughs> My experience with all that wickedness, all that darkness, all that pain, all that suffering, I got to share with a young woman this morning who's 18, maybe just about to be 19 years old, who was forced into prostitution at 13 years old and has uh, lived a life of heroin addiction as a result of that pain and suffering, Mm. um, where she said, I believe you, when I told her, someday you're going to see this as a gift. (laughs) Like That doesn't even make any sense. Mm -hmm. That How could you experience all that wickedness, all that evil, all that pain, all that suffering, and then someday interpret that as having been a gift? But that's what God does. Mm -hmm. You know, what's crazy is I literally will share, people say, well, you come in and share your story, and obviously it's always leading to the gospel, but I'll be saying things that I forget I even have emotions about, and it was so crazy to punch holes in walls in this house or punch the windshield of a car through or to climb on top of a car or to be divorced and suicidal. And I have to say it. And I'm like, where are these feelings? I can feel more about your experience when you're saying it because my mind's going there. And I'm like, this is, 
I can feel the emotions and the alarms going off, but God redeems that. You know, and the Bible is a messy, dark book. Mm. It's beautiful. It's revelation. It's illuminated to those who are his, who hear it. And he opens their eyes then, you know, as they come into the relationship. But it's honest. And we've said this so much, guys, if you read it, Israel never had to go into exile. People, Peter didn't have to be rebuked. We didn't have to go back into, like you said, it was a system and drugs for seasons. I didn't have to do the things I could. It's just life can unfold this way. And really what I heard with Pete's story is you're born into this saying, I'm not good enough. Who, who, who lifted me up? Who cried out to me? I went even to this church and nothing to shame Calvary, of course, but you didn't allow yourself to be accepted and loved because of what had been spoken over I you. I was believing the lie. The lie of the enemy. And here's the point is your sins are not bigger than the cross. Your your wickedness, your, your wretchedness, your hate for God, even if you were in a cult or whatever it may be, the things you've done, the apostle Paul killed Christians and Jesus showed up and said, why are you persecuting me? Changed his name, redeemed that man. And we read him more than anyone else aside from obviously the leading you know, of the, the name. You hear, you hear a common... Um, uh, thing today uh, is our need to learn to forgive ourselves. Mm-hmm. And you hear that a lot in the program. Mm-hmm. Al-Anon, Alcoholics Anonymous, you hear, I need to learn to forgive myself. And that's a crock. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, because the ultimate forgiveness comes from the cross of Christ. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and, and maybe that may be true for the unsaved person. Um, you know, uh, you quoted uh, 1 Corinthians one eighteen. You said, mm-hmm. you know, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. Yeah. Um, you know, there's where that's what separates the men from the boys. It's like, um, I don't need to learn to forgive myself. I need to accept God's forgiveness Amen. for me. Mm-hmm. And I need to step in whatever it takes to make that forgiveness in my life real. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I'm doing that, and if I am pos- positing that I need to learn to forgive myself, then I'm saying what Christ did on the cross was inadequate. Mm-hmm. I, and, and you know that story? I shared it before, but the church we have downtown, you know, that when I'm in town, I'll make sure I'm, I'm attending. But a soldier had came in one night, and he must have been 25, 26, and he had booger noses, I mean, crying tears. He'd sat in the back, heard the worship, and after everyone was gone, he was still there. And I was like, what's going on? What's the deal? You need prayer? And he goes, I've killed this many people. I've done this. I've done this. I've done that. And he just begins to unfold, and he's shaking. This is like he's coming to a point. And I'm like, Lord, what do I say? And it was like the Lord was like saying, take him down to the cross and ask him if his sin is bigger than what I did on that cross, you know? And it was like, and I remember walking him down and he was just in tears on the floor. I'm like, look, because it's what you're saying. It's our own pride that we think it's so much. No, if our righteousness is filthy rags, then our sin, though it's wretched, the blood of Jesus is perfect. Yes. It's been shed. Yes. It is finished. You can begin that relationship with Christ. That's called repentance. Seeing the way you've lived and saying, Lord, I'm aiming to about 10. But even in that, you're going to need his grace and mercy daily. The older you get, the more the flesh wants to shout and speak. Mm -hmm. But we've got to get plugged in, get the word in us. Get And guys, I know we're wrapping up in a moment. I'm going to have Pastor Pete preach, but... I hope when you come out to California, come hang out with myself, come visit Pastor Pete's church. First love will get you all that information. But how can people personally who've heard this before you pray us out, how can they get a hold of you and message you online, tell you if this has encouraged them or whatever the Lord's done? Or Pete Cropsey at yahoo.com. With a C. Yes. Pete Cropsey, P-E-T-E-C-R-O-P-S-E-Y mm-hmm. at yahoo.com. And then your Instagram first, is the same. First Instagram, Pete Cropsey, um, firstlovechurch.net, mm-hmm. or Instagram is first.love.church, mm-hmm. um, our Instagram. 
uh, Facebook, First yeah. Love Church Costa Mesa. Amen. Um, and, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. So, guys, get off the 55, swing by in and out or um, Cafe Gratitude if it's still there. Or maybe it's, and then go by and see it's Pastor It's on 19th P. Street, right 19th at the Hurley Street. compound uh, for now until God gives us something else. Well, man, it has been a privilege and honor. It's cool hanging out. Would you just pray us out or however you feel led to I'd it? I'd love to. Yeah. I'd love to. Um, Heavenly Father, thank you. You know, God. Mm. thank you for the technology that allows us to be able to do this, yes, um, to be able to take um, our relationship as two men who love you yes, um, out there and to the universe i guess i don't know where all this goes but lord it's an amazing thing that you that you know and and lord when we get to use technology to to spread the gospel and and um you know it's being used for so much stuff that's just mm-hmm. counterproductive to everything that we believe and everything that we're trying to do lord but I, in this instance i just thank you thank you for the technology that we have to be able to do this and lord i just pray that for anybody who's heard this tonight uh that you um would just speak into their hearts and you know, um, Brian and I, we're not the end all, the be all, the ultimate. Te- we're just just broken men who have found um, found grace, found love, and found acceptance at your cross. And I pray that if there's anyone out there tonight that's suffering, that you would speak into their lives, Lord God, that you would just touch them. And, you know, because your word tells us that we can come boldly before your throne of grace to find help in time of need. And I, I picture that as being able to climb up in your lap and put our head on your chest. And listen to your heartbeat and feel your soft, tender breath on the top of our heads where many of us for years have felt it on the back of our necks as we ran. So, Lord, I just pray that everybody that's hearing this tonight, uh, you know, would just hear your voice and and hear the tenderness and the mercy and and, and the grace that's so readily available to anybody who's willing to just say, I'm a sinner. You know, Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. And if that's your heart tonight, then... Just ask him. Ask him to forgive you for your sins and ask him to come into your heart and you will be in the family of God. Second Corinthians five seventeen says, If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away and all things become new. If your heart's stirring in that direction, then just join the family of God right now. Just say, Lord, please forgive me for my sins. I believe only you can forgive me and I ask you to do that now. And claim it in Jesus' name and then welcome to the family of God. So we thank you, Lord, and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And guys, just in closing, you know, when when this was all pictured uh, years ago, really, and Isaac, the producer's mind, and just saying, Brian, why don't we do this? The thought was, well, what are we putting our hand to? And it's that you'd be sitting in your room. It's that you'd be driving down the street. It's that you'd be facing a challenge, and you would hear this and say, they're men just like us, women just like our wives or whoever's, the whosoever's even, to, to go down Ryan Reese's Avenue. But you know, God meets us where we are. He knows our every breath, the blood that flows through our bodies. He holds us together. And that just something that's been spoken tonight, a verse, an encouraging testimony would speak to you and you would realize right where you are, you can step into that. Hey, this is Brian Sumner and Pete Cropsey. And remember, the message of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing but to us who are being saved it's the power of god guys please uh, share like there's a youtube channel get involved i'm hoping this will just reach more so they can see through the accent and hear about the love of jesus (laughs) god bless you guys god bless you
This has been brought to you by the One Story Podcast. Hey, Sonata.